Amen. Well, good morning. I don't think I, did I say good morning when I did the greeting? Good morning. And Charles and Jamie, if you're out there, I have some friends from New Mexico who wanted the address there, wanted to uh, tune in this morning. So if you have friends, if you have friends, consider yourself lucky. But if you have friends who want to participate in worship with you, uh, just give them the thing. It's a wonderful mechanism, you know, this whole deal. I, I like surprises. And, and not long ago, well, quite a while ago, but I was surprised by something I read in Scripture that I had not noticed before. In the book of Proverbs, Solomon wrote these words, above all else. Above all else. You mean you're singling something out? Of all of the wisdom that you're giving us, you're talking about how we should relate to God. And you're talking about how we should build strong families, how we relate to our spouse, how we raise good, godly children. You have Proverbs in there about how to use our time, about how to build friendships that last, that make a difference, how to make an impact on people, how to be a a, a righteous person, a wise person. All of these things that are in there, how could you single one thing out? And say, above all else, whatever else you do. Now, if you were writing the book of Proverbs, what might you single out? I mean, what would you think would come next? Above all else, guard your heart. Really? (laughs) I would have thought, well, above all else, pray. Well, that's a good one. He talks about prayer in here. Above all else, read your Bible. Yeah, that's really a good one. That's in here. Above all else, love God. Well, yeah, that's in there. But he didn't say those things. Why guard your heart? What in the world does that mean? And, and, and why is that the thing that, that, that Solomon, in all of his wisdom, singled out and says, whatever else you do, whatever else you do, guard your heart. Why? Because he said, out of it flow the issues of life. Your heart is the wellspring of your life. Guard your heart because everything you do, everything you think, Everything you feel comes out of your heart. Which leads us to the question, what is the heart? In the Bible, what what does this word heart mean? What is it talking about? Well, Bruce Waltke, who's a brilliant Old Testament scholar, said the heart is the most important anthropological term in the Old Testament. I'll read that again. The heart, the lave, is the most important anthropological term in the Old Testament. What he means by anthropological, I can't say it, but (laughs) anthropological term is whenever the Bible talks about humans, the heart, talking about the heart is the most important concept in in, in the Old Testament. It occurs 46 times in Proverbs, 
and 858 times in the Old Testament. This word heart. And the, you add the New Testament, it's used over a thousand times, this word heart, and it refers only to humans. The life force, nephesh, uh, the, 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 the soulishness, that, that thing in us that, that gives us life, that when it departs, we are a corpse, that is also used of animals. But this word heart is never used of animals, because it's a very specific thing. The word heart, and and I could go on forever with Bible passages that demonstrate these things, but the heart refers, first of all, to the intellect, refers to the mind, the way we think, to the decisions we make. Thy word have I hid in my brain? Well, yeah, but the word, the Bible says heart. So, the thinking process is referred to in the Bible as the heart, both Old and New Testament. The feeling process, love the Lord your God with all your heart. We feel with our heart, and there are many, many passages that refer to our emotions come out of our heart, and our will the decisions that we make and the things we commit to and and the values that we have are all shaped and formed in the heart. Now, in Western thought, we think of the intellect, emotion, and will. We think of three separate things, but the Hebrew mind didn't separate them. To the Hebrew mind, they understood, I think far more accurately, how everything affects everything. Some of you have read about systems thinking. (laughs) Everything affects everything. Nothing happens in isolation. And certainly the way I feel about something is driven by how I think about it, how I define it, how my mind processes it, shapes how I feel about it. And how I feel about things, sometimes helpfully, sometimes distortedly, shapes how I think about them. I have a little sign on the monitor of my computer. It says, Know what you see, don't see what you know. Know what you see, don't see what you know. Oftentimes, whatever we look at, we have already predetermined whether it's good or bad, whether it's right or wrong, before we even understand what it is. Because our emotions shape the way we think. We have to be very careful. We have to guard our heart because it's the intersection of feeling and thought. And then the way I think about things and my values that I attach to things shape how I make decisions about things. I make decisions about my kids and my grandkids in a very special way that I love kids, but I have feelings and I have thoughts about my kids. I spent yesterday morning fishing with my grandson. I hate fishing. <laughs> but we had a ball. You know, up in, in uh, Santa Monica, the seals are barking at us, and the birds are trying to steal our bait and all that stuff. And I, think, I can think of a million things I'd rather be doing than this. Except, look at him. This nine-year-old kid, he's having a ball. See, and the way I think about it, there ain't another kid in the world I'm going to go fishing with. Him, I will. You get the point? Is how I think about it, how I feel about it, it shapes the decisions that I make. So this thing of the heart, 
this thing of the heart. Uh, ba- by Baker, Encyclopedia of the Bible says, the word heart signifies the total inner self, a person's hidden core of being. It is the genuine self, distinguished from appearance, public position, and physical presence. My heart is who I am when I'm driving alone in my car, and there's nobody to impress, and there's nobody who's thinking of any, I'm not in anybody else's radar, it's just me. Who am I then? The heart signifies that. Jesus said, make the tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You, he's speaking to the Pharisees, you brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks from that which fills the heart. Luke quoted Jesus is saying that the person who produces spiritual fruit, the person who lives by God's teaching, is someone with a good and noble heart. That's what Solomon is talking about. Guard your heart because it's the keystone. It's the fountain. It's what shapes everything else. Guard your heart. The heart is where God dwells in the Christian person. Paul wrote in Galatians, because you are his children, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba, Father. The love we express toward God comes from a heart filled by the Holy Spirit. We read in Paul's second prayer to the Ephesians in Ephesians 3, 16 and 17. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your heart. And we teach our children, Jesus is going to live in your heart. And any kid thinking about that says, really? (laughs) How does that work? Jesus is going to live in my my heart? No. No. He's going to dwell in that place, that intersection of thinking, feeling, willing, where all your decisions are made, where all your loves exist, where your attitudes are, where He can guide, where He can shape I've often wondered if prayer is a strange thing, isn't it? Kind of weird. And, 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 and I pray for God to show me his will. Show me your will. Well, God has never spoken to me. He's never written on the wall. But I have had times of deep sense of conviction, of knowing that this is what God wants. It says in Psalms, he will give you the desires of your heart. And I think there are two ways to think about that. One that I'm not quite as comfortable with is he will give you whatever your heart desires. Well, I could get in real trouble that way. But I wonder if it could also mean he will give you what your heart should desire. 
when you pray, Lord, guide me, Lord, show me, God is capable of shaping our heart to say, this is what I want you to want. I was talking with Bill uh, uh, Bramer this week, and, and growing up, I had one passion in my life. I wanted to be a frog man. You know, and, and so I couldn't wait to get out of school. In Maine, you can quit school when you're 16. I was going to get out of school, go in the Marine Corps, and I was going to be a frog man. I had a diver's mask and a snorkel from the time I can remember. And my fins, we'd go to, we had a cottage on the lake, and I'd paddle around there. I just loved it. And I couldn't imagine doing anything else with my life. It was my dream, my passion. When I was 15 years old, I accepted Christ as my personal Savior and Lord. And a week later, at this same camp, they had this, this service where you could commit your life to God, to do whatever God wanted you to do. And I said, well, Lord, nothing I do very well, but if you want it, you got it. Here's the package. And I found over the next few days, I began thinking about how wonderful it would be teach the Bible. I had a guy gave me a Bible, brand new Bible, and he told me, read Philippians every day for a month. Read the book of Philippians. So I'm reading Philippians and, and learning stuff, and, I, and God put a whole different desire in my heart. And here I am. <laughs> Lo, these many, feels like centuries later. The heart that's open to God, God said, I will move you. I will guide you. Out of this heart, the mouth speaks. Uh, James makes this rather startling statement in the book of James. No one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. This is in James chapter 3. The whole chapter is about control and how we learn to control the birds and the, the animals and and, and we've controlled so much of nature, but no one can control the tongue. You say, well, well, thanks, James. Where does that leave us? Well, then later on down in the chapter, he talks about how we gain control. And the principle of that James chapter 3 is, is the battle for control is not won or lost at the level of the tongue. The battle for control is won or lost at the level of the heart. If you're trying to control your tongue, James said, that's a losing proposition. You'll never do it. Don't make new commitments about, I'm never going to tell lies again. I'm never going to gossip again. I'm never going to do this with my, I'm going to, no, no, no. Feed your heart. Above all else, guard your heart because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The battle for control is saying, what am I doing with my heart? Solomon said, whatever else you do, above all else, guard your heart. Because it is the, it's, the, it's the motherboard, it's the hard drive, it's the power cord, it's everything you can think of in your computer. It's what drives your life. The evil person, out of the evil stored up in his heart, brings forth what is evil. And the good person, out of the good stored up in her heart, brings forth what is good? Guard your heart. Well, how do I do that? I mean, okay, I get the heart. 
pretty important deal. I see why James said, guard your heart, because out of it flow the issues of life. But what does it mean to guard it? What does it mean to guard it? Well, there's another place where, where Solomon used this term, guard. He said in chapter 27, verse 18, the one who guards a fig tree will eat its fruit. You say, well, now that's a very instructive passage. The one who guards a fig tree will eat its fruit, and whoever protects their master will be honored. So how do you guard a fig tree? Well, you're afraid somebody's going to steal your figs. You sit out in your fig tree garden with a shotgun. (laughs) And you guard it. And I guess you could do that. Guard means that. But this word that's Natsar means more than to sit out in the orchard with a shotgun. It says feed it. Bring water to it. A fig tree planted by streams of water yields fruit in season, if you remember from Psalm 1. We nurture it. We spray, keep the bugs away from it. We protect it by making it healthy. And, and, and then that second lie, which the, the, the one who guards a fig tree will eat its fruit, whoever protects their master. And that word means to take care of, to serve well, to make sure needs are taken care of. I probably would be a bodyguard, I guess, whoever protects their master. But that word protect, that second line there, which is parallel to the first one, whoever guards a fig tree, feeds it, cares for it, protects it. Make sure it's healthy. It's like a person who protects their master. And the person who feeds their fig tree, who guards their fig tree, will have figs. Ha! Brilliant. And the person who takes good care of their master will be honored, will be taken care of in return. It's a truism of life. So to, to guard means more than to build a wall around it. It does mean that, but it means far more. In fact, if you look at this Proverbs 4.23, which, by the way, I never even tell you where this thing is found. Proverbs 4.23. Sorry about that. If you have your Bible, you may want to turn there. But it says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Now, when he says above all else, that's a key, key statement. So what he did is that 4.23, Proverbs 4.23, he built a frame around it. He built a frame around it. It's called a chiastic structure. The three verses before tell us how how specifically to go about guarding our heart. And the four verses that follow tell us how to guard our heart. But he, he beautifully, ingeniously takes those two sections that surround that verse of 423, and he used, built them in such a way that they provide a beautiful frame around this gorgeous picture. It, does that make sense? I was yesterday with my kids, and they're prepared. They do an art show every year up in Santa Monica to raise money for cancer research. And, and Chris was showing me some of the art that comes in and, and, and how important it is to frame it. Because he said, you know, framing a picture can make all the difference. A beautiful picture can look kind of ugly if you put a bad frame around it. So what Solomon did is say, I've got this beautiful picture here, and so you can fully appreciate it, I'm going to take the time, as I write this paragraph, I'm going to take the time to craft it. I'm going to carefully choose what I put around this beautiful statement, above all else, guard your heart, 
because out of it flow the issues of life. So verse 20 says, my son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. The picture is almost of a wild animal. You see the, their ears perk up. You, you watch an, an animal or your dog. You whistle at your dog and their ears move. And that's the picture here. Pay attention. Lean in. Turn your ear. Twitch your ear so you don't miss what I'm saying. And then verse 21, do not let them out of your sight. Guard them. The same word as in 23, guard them within the center of your heart. These things that I'm teaching you, listen to them. Pay attention to them. Turn your ear to them. Never let them escape your consciousness. Keep them, guard them in the very center of your heart. Why? Because they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. And the word they are life to those who find them. It's vigor. It's energy. It's it's life. You get it? It's life to those who find them. People who say, boy, life is dull. No, life doesn't have to be dull and boring. Life is the most exciting thing we have going. If you're living it right, if you follow my words, if you give it attention to what I'm saying, if you keep my words in the center of your heart, life will be dynamic. Life will be life, vigor, energy. I love it. And it's health to one's whole body. And that idea of health is is restorative. When you are down, when you do get depressed, when you do get morose, and we do, or at least I do, I don't know about you, Maybe you're holier than me. Probably most people are. But the whole idea is when life isn't working for you, when life isn't dynamic and exciting. Kathy told about a lady this week. She discovered she has cancer. Oh, wow, isn't that exciting? No, it's not exciting. And Kathy said to her, the same Jesus you trusted when you were happier is the same Jesus. Isn't that what you said, yeah, she just told me that this morning. Fantastic. So here's a woman who says, life isn't vigorous for me right now. But you can heal if you know how. Pay attention to my words. Listen to them. Lean into them. Keep them in the center of your heart so that when devastating news comes, you can find health and a way back to the vigor of life. And then he says, now, do not, uh, uh, above all else, guard your heart because all of this stuff that I'm talking about grows out of it. This vigorous life, this healthy life, this restoring life, this, this involved life. Guard your heart. So the positive thing, the instruction is listen to my words. Pay attention to my words. Get into this book. Live the way God says to live. And then second, following it, coming out of it, he says, verse 24, after he says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows. He says, keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Well, how can I do that? How can I keep corrupt talk far from my lips? How can, and the, the actual thing there is keep your mouth free of perversity. Don't lie. Don't intentionally say things that aren't true. That's perverse. And then the next thing, keep corrupt talk. Talk. Don't even shade the truth. 
So as you talk, guard what you say. Say what you mean and mean what you say. Stand behind it. Well, how can I do that? Well, James told us the battle for control is not one lost at the level of the tongue. Guard your heart. Because out of it the mouth speaks. How do I guard my mouth and keep it free from distortion and, and all? And then the next, so, so the verse, and here's the frame. I, I, I hope, I, this is an experiment. Uh, you look like most of you, very intelligent people. Bad joke. My son, verse 20, pay attention to what I say, turn your ear to my words. Verse 24, keep your mouth from perversity, keep corrupt, talk far from your lips. So the first thing he talks about, verse 20, verse 24, is your mouth. Do not let them out of your sight, verse 21. Guard them, keep them within your heart. And then, so he says, keep them, uh, don't let them out of your sight, verse 21. Verse 25, let your eyes look straight ahead, fix your gaze directly before you. Does that mean you see how the parallelism there? And that, that, that whole message, verse 25, of keeping, uh, let your eyes look straight ahead, fix your gaze directly before you. Say, I know what my life is about. I, I'm moving someplace. I'm not treading water. I'm looking forward. I'm looking down the road. I have purpose. I have meaning. I'm excited about stuff. God is using me. I'm making a difference. I get up in the morning and put my pants on because I got to go to work. So I'm retired. Yeah, but you're still living. What's your intention, for heaven's sake? You know, a friend of mine says, they got to put, we're talking about a, another guy, saying, you know, they put on his tombstone, died age 40, buried age 70. <laughs> what is your life about? As you look your gaze down the road, looking into the next day, the next moment, focus on that. We serve a beautiful, wonderful, dynamic, living God. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze. That's how you guard your heart. You have a reason to guard your heart. It's bigger than you. And the third warning, give careful thought to the paths for your feet. Be steadfast in all your ways. As you're looking down the road and you're seeing, this is what God has for me. This is my way of life. Give careful thought to the paths of your feet. Don't just stumble on through life. Live a life of intention, a life of purpose, a life that, that matters, a life that matters to you. Where you look in the mirror at the end of the day and say, you know what? I'm pretty proud of you. You're a pretty good dude. I'm glad you're me. Isn't that a lot better than saying, my life is really pretty lousy. You know, I make no difference to anybody. Don't even make any difference to me. I'm so significant. You know how significant I'm? Put my finger in a glass of water, pull it out. You know how long the hole lasts? That's how long people are going to remember me. No. No, God has given us a life of meaning and purpose and direction. James says, guard that. I mean, Solomon says, guard that. 
Whatever else you do, don't let your heart go old and sour and sad and lonely and bitter. Guard your heart by feeding it on God's Word, focusing on the positive, equally avoiding the negative. Keep your eyes straight ahead. Don't be looking at stuff you shouldn't be looking at. Keep your mouth clear. Give careful thought to the events of your life. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. See, the first thing we do to guard our heart is to feed it good stuff. Feed it on God's Word. The second thing we do to guard our heart is protect it from anything that violates God's Word. When's the last time you just got up and turned off a television program because it was distorting your mind? I have a friend who watched a movie with his high school kids. When it was over, he said, what did we just watch? You know, we were laughing at adultery. We were being amused by murder. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. By feeding it the good stuff and protecting it from the bad stuff. It's like a saying I heard a while ago, put horse manure on your strawberries. Pretty good wisdom. Lloyd Clark was a farmer. I asked him, what do you think about that? And he said, I'd rather put sugar on them. It's not saying for your breakfast cereal, you put horse manure on your strawberries. It's saying when you fertilize your strawberries, horse manure is more acidic, more powerful. So not only does it give nutrients, it kills off some of the bad stuff that will damage your plants. Put horse manure on your strawberries. Feed it good stuff. Protect it, protect it from the bad stuff. E.M. Bounds wrote, Someday, in the years to come, you will be wrestling with the great temptation or the great sorrow of your life. But the real struggle is here, now. Now it is being decided whether in the days of your supreme sorrow or temptation you shall miserably fail or gloriously conquer. Character cannot be made except by a steady, long, continued process. Solomon says, guard your heart, because your whole life grows out of it. You guard it by feeding it. Feeding it on this. Feeding it on good literature. Feeding it on good friendships. People who build you up. People who support you. People who help you, teach you. And you guard it by keeping a, a fanatical guard over what goes in there. Bitterness and harboring anger and dislike and lust and greed and just being sucked into the world. It's like what we talked about from Psalm 1. How blessed, how happy, how fulfilled is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the path of sinners or seated in the seat of scoffers. But her delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law she meditates 
day and night. Guard your heart.